1 Corinthians 1.17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's not a seatbelt for you. That's a harness for me. My boy Grambo asked me to throw haymakers tonight, and I'm coming for you. Let's go. Questions are important. Answers pre-exist. It is questions that need to be defined or discovered. Answers aren't invented. They are revealed. A wise man once said that. Questions are important. Questions are important because of what it is that they reveal. You see the people crowding against you, and yet you can say, who touched me, reveals a moment of wonder in a disciple's heart. Teacher, don't you care if we drowned, reveals the inner reality of a worried servant. Seeking to understand, a man once questioned whether five barley loaves and two fish were sufficient for the crowd. Or another asking, are you the king of the Jews? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Reveals the incorrect perspective of someone longing for Jesus. The questions... How can a man be born when he is old? Must he crawl into his mother's womb a second time? Or, sir, what will you draw water with? For the deep is very well, deep, the well is very deep. Where do you get that living water? It reveals the secret longing for a life yet experienced. Is this not the carpenter's son? Which is the greatest commandment? Questions that reveal the hostile and critical spirit of a people. Good master, what is it that I must do to inherit eternal life? I've done all these things throughout my youth. What do I lack? Reveals an inner emphasis on duty over relationship. Questions are important Because questions are revealing. They reveal the inner conditions of our heart. Produced from the curiosities within us that reflect our truest and our deepest needs. These questions that have been asked throughout the Bible are very revealing. SBC, so too were ours. We've been talking a lot about different questions about relationships because our pastors have identified that this is a key issue for us in our current condition that there is a culture that needs to continue to develop around conversation around topics like this they've done an incredible job of creating a foundation of the purpose of relationship for our lives and they've done an amazing job of navigating through all the curiosities of our hearts over the last few weeks The only aspect of their leadership through this series that could be called into question is that they gave me the mic to close. Because I have an unintentional propensity to write all of my sermons with cat locks. 
tonight, it's not possible to address every question, spoken or unspoken. And your engagement in the series is the reason for that. There's so many things that deserve attention, like your questions about divorce and about same-sex attraction. But good for us that we're developing a culture of conversation that even if it's not addressed from the pulpit doesn't mean that there's not answers. Doesn't mean that there's not conversation to be had. Let's be clear on our singular purpose tonight. When Kim and Gavin asked me to speak, they told me that I'd be speaking to a group of leaders. And so under that premise, our purpose tonight is to inspire leaders to use relationship to advance the kingdom. And the reason why we're focusing on that is because you can't avoid it. Your leadership will be expressed through a relational dynamic as God has called us into relationship with himself, with himself, with ourselves, and with others. Everything you do in ministry, everything you do in life is through relationship. Because all of you in this room are identified as children of God. Some of you are identified as sons, others as daughters, others as brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and cousins and friends and leaders and followers and colleagues and peers. Every single thing that you do is done through the lens of relationship. There's many questions that I have asked, many questions that I've posed to God to understand my life, to understand my faith, to understand my ministry, and yet even as I ask these questions, I seemingly often do not find the answers that I'm looking for. Without a good question, a good answer has no place to go. So I wonder all the time if I'm asking myself the right questions. Because I found that the answers that I seek are experienced more readily, not when I question God, but when I allow Him to question me. We've been focusing on a lot of different questions that we have. I want to focus on the questions that He had for us. Our questions reveal our inner condition. Jesus' questions do the same. It reveals to us what's inside of us, but when that happens, he does it in light of who he is. In light of his nature, his character, his works, in light of who he is. Would you allow him to question you tonight? Answers, they pre-exist. You don't invent the answer it is revealed. Who do you say that I am? Our answer to this question is ever important because it forces us to confront who he truly is to us. Who he truly is in my life. His revelation is paramount. See, I don't believe that any of you need my opinion tonight. You don't need my advice on friendship. You don't need my opinions on dating. You don't need my opinion tonight. What it is that you need is a revelation from God. 
There's many different convictions I have about relationships and how I live that out in my life. And yet, if I shared them with you, very few of you would actually adopt them. If I shared my opinions, it might make it into your journal. It might elicit a remark from our back row. But it'll fade into a past agreeance instead of an adopted principle. Because my public opinion will to you remain very shallow. But to me, they're the personal revelations of God as He's changed and shaped my life. You don't need my opinion tonight. Because my opinions aren't enough to sustain you. My opinions aren't enough to shape you, to mold you, to guide you, to keep you, to protect you, to inspire you. My opinions, they can't do that. You may have come tonight thinking that you want my opinion on this question or that question, but all you need is His revelation. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's only the Word of God, His personal utterance, that is active and living, that is piercing and discerning, that can speak into the very needs that you have, into the deepest places of your heart. In that place, my opinions can't tread. They can't reach that part. They might sound good to your ears, but they'll never actually make it to the place that actually inspires change. The only thing that can get to that place that will change your trajectory, that will shape your life, that will allow you to live in what it is that he's called you to is the revelation of his truth in your life. It is the only thing that can reach the inner condition of our hearts. There's moments in my life where I assume the ignorant perspective that I have a comfortable understanding of who God is. Comfortable understanding of who the person of Jesus is. Who and how the, spo- how the Holy Spirit works in my life. And when I'm in that place, I'm unaware that I'm even there. When I feel like it's enough, when I feel like I've got a handle of it, I don't even know that that's the condition that I'm in. I'm unaware of my lack. It's only in the moment when I experience revelation, when God shares his truth with me, that I'm actually aware of the condition of my heart. And I find myself no different than the the disciples who are en route to Emmaus, who took an entire journey with their Lord, with their King, with their teacher, with their hope, with a person who holds their life and didn't recognize it. Until God determined to open their eyes And reveal who he was to them. Who do you say that he is? I needed God to open my eyes when I was sitting right where Tanisha was. To convict me on the lack of urgency for the lost. I remember I was sitting right where Colby was. When God opened my eyes to just how much I sought the affirmation of leadership. I sat right where Isabel was when I realized just how important obedience was to me. 
and how paralyzing my self-criticism was in my life. And don't worry, God doesn't just reveal himself on the left side. Because I was where Shania was when I realized the crippling effects of comparison in my life. But I was sitting where Chuck was when I saw the fulfillment of God's faithfulness. It's not until God opens our eyes where we recognize where our heart is. It's not until he speaks directly to us and shows us his truth that the words that we hear actually have an opportunity to change who it is that we are. You don't need my opinion tonight. You need his revelation. Who do you say that I am? That can only be found through his words. And with the revelation of God's truth in our lives, it ends up requiring a choice. Simon, do you love me? I can imagine Peter's response. Lord, why are you calling me Simon? I thought we got past that. I'm Peter now. I'm your rock. Lord, why are you asking me three times? Don't you know that I love you? Simon, do you love me? See, when the Lord speaks directly to us, the pain is actually too difficult to bear. When the Lord speaks directly to us and reveals the truth to actually shift the inner conditions of our heart, it's incredibly painful because it takes all of the areas of our life that is outside of the ethic that he has established for us and brings it back into alignment. It is painful to hear when our Lord speaks to us and questions us about what exists inside of us. But in that moment of pain that we so often see as a negative thing is also the moment where we experience the revealed truth of God and have an opportunity to shift our hearts. Simon, do you love me? It's a question that asks if you will embrace his ethic of relationship for your own life. Will you do relationship like me? Because if you love me, you will feed my sheep. It is the only response, it is the only instruction I am giving you. If you say you love me, then feed my sheep. Questions are important because they're very revealing. It reveals the Father's heart that if we love him, We need to stop identifying ourselves with our priorities. We need to identify ourselves with his priorities in people. The Lord will keep pressing on your ethic until it comes into alignment with his. Identify yourself with my priorities in other people. Stop identifying me with your interests in others. No. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jason, do you love me? 
feed my sheep. Isabel, do you love me? Feed my sheep. It's a command that rings true for everybody. That as God calls us to embrace the ethic he has for relationship, the only rightful response is to feed his sheep. It's the only response. And so that means that you need to determine the ethic that you are going to live by. Because it will produce the culture of your heart. And as leaders, there's going to be other people who are depending on that culture. On that ethic that you determine to live by. Because wherever you go, wherever it is that God plants you, the ethic of your heart is going to become the standard that other people shoot for. And that is an incredible responsibility. And that is an incredible burden. I hope your ethic looks like his. Then when he asks for a loving response, the only way to satisfy it is to feed his sheep. So we ask all these questions about relationships. Let me ask you a few. When you want to call your students to give it their best, no matter what it is that they do, how do you do that when you read 40% of a book and submit a paper and call it worship? Let me ask you another one. How? In the world, do you call people to identify themselves with him? And then in the moment when you seemingly are overlooked for a leadership position, your life unravels. How are you going to call people to integrity when you and me and other people are taking advantage of the secrecy, of the privacy of their dorm rooms? How do you do that if your ethic isn't aligned with him? I know you're not going to be okay with it. When your students are texting multiple people, wheeling and dealing, setting up their options, but you're practicing it right now. How is it? that you're going to ask your students and the people that God has put under you to serve each other and to love each other and look out for each other's interests when you skip your turn to clean the bathroom and you, don't, you haven't lifted a finger in your room this semester. The ethic that you choose to live by is the standard that you will call other people to. Are you currently happy where you're leading other people? If not, let him reveal himself to you. Let the truth of what it is that he's calling into take those moments that are experiencing pain and allow him to align it with his ethic of relationship. Because in your leadership, you can't avoid it. Everything you do will be found through relationship. And he trusts us ridiculously. Because when he says, Jace, do you love me? Feed my sheep. When I step into that calling, I actually become the nourishment for other people. My determination to fill myself until I teach other people under me to directly lean on God, I am their nourishment. 
So then I wonder, are the people under me starving? Or because of the overflow of my relationship with my God, that they are full and being taught to feed themselves? You will become the source of supply for other people until they learn to create that for themselves. I think we owe it to God to give our best. A major barrier to assuming this ethic for our life is entitlement. I want you guys Stop waiting for somebody else to determine your ethic for you. Stop waiting for someone to lead in relationships until you follow. Lead yourself. Don't don't have a conversation with me about friendship if you yourself are not being the type of friend you want to receive. Don't have a conversation with me about not finding that special someone when you're not currently acting like the person you're trying to find. Lead yourself in relationship by determining to assume the ethic that he has set for us. Hannah, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Ethan, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Alex, do you love me? Feed my sheep. It's the ethic of relationship that he's called us to. Lead in the kingdom and elevate the ethic of your heart. Don't wait for someone to do it for you. Don't put all that pressure on your pastors. Don't put that pressure on your leaders. Because he's calling you. And he's asking you to respond to his love by feeding his sheep. He's revealed himself to us. So we have a choice to make whether or not we will accept his ethic for our life. And if you do, you will be proud of what it is that you are leading people to. Step into it. Jesus asks, are you asleep? Could you not one hour he's looking for people to stand up he's waiting for people to step into their role he's looking for people to join him to feed his sheep to the least of these to whomever he puts in your way to whoever he privileges you the opportunity to lead And Jesus has some peculiar sheep. He's got some dirty ones, some unkept ones, some awkward ones, some pushy ones, some that have gone astray. But it's impossible to exhaust God's love. And therefore, it's impossible to exhaust my love if it's found in Him. The love of God has no prejudice. And it's my responsibility, because I love him, to feed his sheep and to orient my life around that. Because I am never released, I am never delivered from his instruction to feed his sheep. 
There's some of you right now that are sleepwalking. There's some of you right now that are trying to find a way around his question. Do you love me? (coughs) Trying to find a way. Trying to find an excuse. Trying to ask the right question that will justify what it is that you're scared to walk into. He says, feed my sheep. Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Makes me think of what the leading values in our life are. What are the values that actually lead my thoughts, my words, and my actions? If you feel, and as you look, and as you evaluate, if you are being led by fear, you need a revelation tonight. Because that's not what the cross was for. Some of you are making decisions based on shame and guilt. You need a revelation tonight. Because that's not what happened by virtue of the cross. That's not the life you're supposed to live. Some of you are making decisions by doubt. Some of you guys are making decisions and the leading value is insecurity. You need a revelation tonight. You need to experience the truth of God that he may align you so that you can actually walk in what it is that you have for him. If those are your leading values, you're sleeping on the job. He's found you asleep. And he's just looking. Could you not just stay awake for one hour? No big deal. I'm just taking the cup that was offered to me and going to the cross soon. And you couldn't partner with me You couldn't step into the role that I set for you, not just for one hour. I wonder if we're asleep on the job. And yet, despite that possible reality, he has invited us to be kingdom builders. He has asked us to assume his ethic He has asked us to step into what it is that he has for us. And he invites us to leverage who we are for the kingdom. He asks, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? There's this lingering question inside of all of us. Do I have purpose And it's often disguised many, many different ways. Sometimes that question is disguised as, why me? Sometimes it's disguised as, will I have an impact? Are you sure you can use me? Am I really good enough? We want the answer to that question. Leverage your life and you will. Use what it is that God has given you. And you will find that purpose. And you will know your impact. You have to ask yourself the question, how many loaves do you have? The answer is not in the amount. It's in the fact that you have. It's in the fact that you have. I think one of the things that is such a shame about Summit 
is that in a room full of incredible leaders, we all, not all, most of us, some of us at least, feel as if we have nothing to offer because you're drowned out by excellence. So many of you guys are craving the ability to be set apart, to be noticed in the crowd. It's a good crowd out here. There's a lot of loaves in this crowd. There's a lot to offer our God when he calls. And yet, we drown in comparison. Leverage what it is that you have to feed his sheep. You have willingness, he takes that. You love sports, I know he takes that. You love math? He can use that too. Leverage who you are. You describe yourself as a person of influence? Use it in the right direction. You notice that you have gifts? Use them. Stop leaving them on the shelf. There's a reason that he's given them to you. And if you continually are led by the fateful decision that someone calls you prideful, you'll never use your gifts. Use them. Determine the ethic of your life. Step into your role and use what it is that God has for you. Leverage who you are because he's called you to feed people. He's placed loaves in your hands. And some of you can't even see them. And it's so sad. You have loaves in your hand, but right now you want your neighbors. You've got loaves in your hands. It's not enough. You want more. You've got loaves in your hands. You don't think it's enough. Leverage who you are. One of your greatest fights is the fight for contentment. Leverage who you are. He's not asking you to be anything else. He's asking you to bring loaves, whether it's five, whether it's seven. They both seem to work in the Bible. Leverage who you are to feed his sheep. Not for your gain, not for your kingdom. Leverage who you are, what he has put inside of you, the dreams he has given you, the desire in your heart. Leverage who you are for impact. Do you love him? Then feed his sheep with what it is that you have. Leverage who you are. And you will see God's promise in the relationships in your life. One of the greatest revelations that I feel like I've experienced as God has spoken to me is the realization that I'm a gift. And I know how narcissistic that sounds. But I've realized that as I've accepted the call, because I love him, because he revealed himself to me, that as I continue to take steps to feed the sheep that God has given me, when my life is synonymous with him, with an ethic that looks like him, that I am the greatest possession that I am the greatest gift that I have to give. 
And every single time that I choose to feed his shift and give whatever it is that I have and leverage who he's made me to be for impact in the relationships that are surrounding me, it becomes the greatest gift that he's ever given me. That as I choose to be for other people, I am the greatest beneficiary. Because it's a constant reminder that he saved me. And it's a constant reminder that he's made me new. And it's a constant reminder that he's purposed me because he redeemed me. It's a constant reminder that he restored my dignity. It's a constant reminder that he sources everything that I do. Every single time that I continue to say yes to feeding his sheep, I get to receive the greatest thing because I remember that I have a relationship that has forever changed me because God chose to reveal himself to me. And so then over and over and over again, I get the beautiful opportunity to leverage who he's made me to be. Nothing more, nothing less, cap locks and all. Questions are important because questions are revealing. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy, yet we ask, how far is too far? The Bible says, forgive 70 times 7, And that's a hyperbole. And yet we ask, do I really have to forgive that person? God calls us to turn the other cheek, to go the second mile, and yet we ask, how far do I have to go in my friendships? Questions are revealing about the inner conditions of our heart. Summit, let's go deeper than that. Let your questions target the root, not the fruit. I hate that that rhymes. Okay? It's kind of cool. Hashtag Robert Madu. There's a great sermon on Mark chapter 2. Instead of asking who the one is, ask who you need to become. Instead of asking about how fast you should move, ask what what are the things that I should promote with my life. Instead of asking how to handle the word spoken over me, first ask what he's already spoken over you. Instead of asking what's a deal breaker in a relationship, ask him what's the ethic I should be attracted to. Instead of asking about the expectations of others, ask for the strength to be steadfast. Instead of asking how to call out another person, ask for the capacity to greater love. Questions are important because they are very revealing. Stop aiming shallow summit. Go deeper. In this culture of conversation that will continue, go deeper. Stop dealing with the things on the surface. There's something deeper for us to discover. And that's where revelation happens. When he speaks truth into our lives. Target the root. Do our relationships need growth? Absolutely. Because we desperately need the revelation of God. He asks the right questions at the right time. And I'd love for the band to come back up. He asks the right questions at the right time. 
And so maybe the depth of relationship that we're looking for isn't predicated on the questions that you ask, but on your response to the questions he's asked you. He asked the right questions at the right time, and his questions, they reveal a lot about our inner condition, but they also reveal who he is. Who do you say that I am? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? How many loaves do you got? I want to invite you guys to stand with me. I believe that great leaders are not distinguished by their ability to give compelling answers any more than their vital, vital skill of asking the right questions. To this point in my life, I believe that Jesus was the greatest of leaders. I don't see that changing. And so this is the question I want to ask you. This is the question I want you to confront. No matter how much pain it might induce, What is he asking of you tonight? Because you don't need opinion. You don't need a sermon or a series. What it is that you need is revelation from God to know the truth. Will you listen? What is he asking of you tonight? Don't tell me that you're done. Don't tell me you've arrived. What's he asking of you tonight? I believe he wants to reveal truth to you. He wants to ask questions in such a way that he's going to strip away everything that should not exist. asking of you tonight. Are you willing to hear his questions? Or are you sleepwalking to a destiny, a destination that you set for yourself? What's he asking of you tonight? How many loaves do you have? Recognize that there are loaves in your hands. What better way to leverage them than for his kingdom? If you want to lead in his kingdom, you need his ethic of relationship in your life. You need to respond to the call that his loving relationship deserves to feed his sheep. Asking of you tonight. Some of you know. Don't ignore it. Fight the temptation to sleep. 
your senses and confronted that you may change so that you can leverage who you are to a greater effect. What is he asking of you tonight? for more because that's his promise that's his invitation for us so I'm going to ask I don't want anybody to pray for somebody else right now that's not the win we're looking for I want you to listen for his voice I want you to strain I'm okay if you're uncomfortable because there's nothing more necessary than God progressively revealing his truth to us that we may change. Because that will last. Opinion never does. Lord, would your word that is living and active and so on that promise I know is working amongst us right now against our typical judgment, Lord, would you pierce us to the deepest places of who we are that we don't often show, that we often neglect, that we often suppress. Would you speak so even in a sliver, the way we do relationship looks a little bit more like the way that you set before us. judge our thoughts and our attitudes the pain we experience as we acknowledge our shortcomings pales in comparison to the grace and the love and the peace that you've provided. like a disciple on his way to Emmaus who doesn't see you who doesn't acknowledge just what it is that is right beside us 
God, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may see who we are in light of you. is going to lead us. And as you wrestle and you grip with what it is that he's asking of you, I want you to hold very tightly that the purpose of prayer and the purpose of praise is to get a hold of God, not an answer. Reach for him. Get a hold of him. Let him speak to you. Don't try and grapple and grasp for an answer. Our prayers and our praise allows us to get a hold of our God. And as we do that and he speaks truth over our life, we experience revelation and have a choice to respond to him. So let us respond in the way that we see fit in this moment. Video of her.